I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. I want to welcome back listeners to Parent Talk. And we're in our uh, third now of series of Parent Talk features on the issue of discipline. You recall the first one was all about general principles. The second, we got into some specifics. We promised that we devote a whole uh, session on how to praise effectively. So we think that praise comes easily, uh, and it does, but we don't want it to come too cheaply. We want it to have meaning and purpose. So today we're going to really give parents what they need in order for their praises not to be empty. That's that's right, Arthur. And it's not like praise is exactly the flip side, but we spend so much time talking about what to do when our child does something that we don't think is appropriate or that we don't particularly like, but we don't give much thought, do we? And what do we say to children when they do something fantastic, whether it's helping their little sibling or doing their math problem, right? Yeah, I would, I would think a lot of our listeners are scratching their head now and saying, why is that a, even an issue? What I'm going to do now is I'm going to start this off with a question from Sarah, because it really is a great segue into what I think is a very important subject. So Sarah writes, my mother keeps telling my three-year-old, good boy, good boy, good boy, whenever he does anything. <laughs> and I'm sure that I read someplace that you're not supposed to say good boy, you're supposed to say good job. So you're not like judging him as a person. Is that right? That was Sarah's question. And I would like to say to Sarah, I'm glad you had the instinct to know that maybe good boy isn't the way to go. But I'm going to say that good job is not exactly the wrong thing to say, but we can give you some ideas on how to make that much more effective. Arthur, I told you I talked to you a little bit about the cult of good job. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, imagine if your our response to Sarah's question was just to say, Good job. Thanks for the question. And that's it. Oh, that's perfect. And actually, that's exactly the point of this. When you say good job, it's really just a generic thing. And as somebody who worked for over 30 years with preschool teachers and in preschool rooms, I would hear teachers and, and of course, parents too, but I would hear teachers say, good job, good job. It was like it just popped out of their mouth like they were breathing. It didn't mean anything. And it really stopped meaning anything at all to the children. It wasn't specific enough. It didn't really describe what was going on with the child. So I, I would like to say that nothing wrong with good job, but it is so often overused that the child begins to to really not think of it as their parent really listening. In fact, as I'm saying this, I'm reminded of one of my very favorite stories that happened in a preschool. Mm-hmm. I had just given a workshop to teachers about this overuse of saying, good job, or that's lovely, or that's great. You know, these sort of generic kind of platitudes. And the teacher came, a teacher came to me the next day and said, out of the mouths of babes. You're not going to believe this. But that very afternoon after our workshop, I a little boy had done a really great painting at the easel. And I said, wouldn't you like to take this home and show your mom? And you know what he said to me? He said, well, what's the use? She'll just say it's beautiful. 
Oh. And I, I thought, this poor mother, she thinks that she's just being so supportive. And of course she is. No one's going to say that saying, telling a child that something is beautiful is ever wrong. It's just that it could be so much more effective. You know, um, I think people are going to wonder, gee, are we going to be criticized for how we say good job too? But I think it's so important to pick up on what you just said, Susan, which is, we think it's wonderful to say good things. There's nothing wrong at all. All we're trying to do uh, during this episode of Parent Talk is strengthen the power of praise. So we take what's generally a good job and saying good job and, and hand people ideas that will make it an even more powerful thing to be excited about what your child's doing. A lot of people will say, okay, I won't say good job, and they will go to the superlatives. That's the best thing I've ever seen. You're the greatest drawer in the world. And let me tell you what happens. This is what I've seen in my many years of experience with, with young children. One group of children, one type of child will, when they get this overpraise, oh my gosh, that's the best I've ever seen. What a, you're such a great artist. Suddenly, then they become almost fearful to just to, to try to do another drawing. I mean, if that was the greatest thing they've ever seen, what what am, what if I make something tomorrow that's not as good? Mm. So instead of instead of actually building them up and making them feel like what they did was worthwhile, they actually undermine their their confidence that they're going to be able to keep doing better. You know, keep improving. I mean, the fact is, is that children do as they grow older, but that's not how a child's going to perceive it. In fact, what children are really wondering, and I think this comes up anyone who's done any artwork, whether it be writing or dancing or sculpting or painting or sports, any sport, baseball, basketball, football, doesn't matter. There's always, whatever level you're at, your challenges go the next level. Even the, the masters in various arts and sports are struggling to go to their next level. And so what children are about is just the same as, as the artists and athletes out there. They're trying to understand what is their next level. They've done this thing. What's good about it? What's bad about it? What What's really the next step in order to be better? So I think what's so upsetting or disappointing for a child to hear that's the best thing anyone's ever seen is that cuts off that whole exploration of advancing. Yeah. And, and now they're stuck. You know, this four-year-old stuck. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more to life than becoming four. So you don't want to end there. Right. And, uh, right. But you can take this even to adults. Do you remember the young gymnast? Um, I think her name was Simone, who was called the GOAT, the, G the greatest of all time. Yes. And do you remember what happened to her at the Olympics? The pressure of being the greatest of all time. What did that do to her? It paralyzed her. She was unable to perform really at the level that everybody knew she could. I mean, that's an extreme example because she's a very special individual, but I felt horrible for her. I felt like that kind of pressure is, you know, give that acronym to somebody once they're already retired from the sport, <laughs> not, not while they're still trying to perform. For sure. And, and so I, th I think it's fair to say for everybody at every age, but certainly in childhood, our sense of achievement comes from a sense that we've worked hard, that we overcame some sense of frustration, that we tackled obstacles. And real strong praise gives the child a sense that someone they love sees all that, sees the struggles, see what they're grappling with. Uh, praise is really about recognizing what they've achieved, not necessarily rating them in, in comparison to other people. Or even in that moment, 
right? That's right. So I think to really boost a child's sense of strength and confidence, there's there's a great power in truthful evaluation. You're really talking about that self-esteem yeah. and confidence, which you just said. Going back to our discipline podcast, we talked about how when the child becomes the problem solver and, mm. and it becomes from them, then not only are they going to be much more willing to follow the solution, but it empowers them in a very, very positive way. And effective praise can do the same thing. And just one example is how many times, and I have probably have done this multiple times, in fact, I'm sure I have with my own children and grandchildren, is that you'll say, I'm so proud of you when they, whatever, completed a puzzle, (laughs) swam the length of a pool. It really makes no difference. I mean, Mm -hmm. praise is praise. And I, I remember when I'm doing my workshops with parents and teachers, I'll say to them, when you say, I'm so proud, who is this really about? It's about you, not about the child whatever they did was to make you feel happy, to make you feel proud, to make you feel like, like, like better about yourself. But that's not really what praise is about. Praise is about making the child really think about what their accomplishment is and feel good about it. So I say to parents, just the simplest kind of twist can make a huge difference. Instead of still saying, oh, I'm so proud of you. You look at that. You put your head in the water. Let's say they're swimming. They're taking a swimming lesson. Instead of saying that, you can say, wow, you must feel so proud of yourself. You were a little scared, but you did it. Do you see how that sounds different? Mm. And, you know, if someone's not thinking along with us what we're trying to achieve, it might glide over it because they sound sort of similar. Proud is in both phrases, but in one, uh, it's all about the, the parent or grandparent being feeling good and proud. And the other is the parent or grandparent saying to the child, I bet you feel proud about yourself and because you were scared to do something and you did it. A very specific observation. You Sort of like that continuum that we talk about with discipline, which starts off with observation. I see that you did so-and-so. So again, we're, we're back to this idea of the parent, the, the loving person for the child, saying to the child, I, I observe something you did. I've noticed what you've done. That's what it's all about. And the noticing, that means that parents have to be specific. So let's go back to that three-year-old boy who was taking his picture home. Mm -hmm. If his mother didn't say, it's so beautiful, which she really might have felt in her heart that it was, if she said it's so beautiful, but then added, I see that you took your time. And look at this. You even made all of the members of your family, or you made the, your dog black because you have a black dog, or you put grass and a sky in. I mean, it doesn't make any difference what it is. A three-year-old may not be doing representational art. What if it's just some beautiful colors? The parent could honestly say, I see you really liked red. You used a lot of red in that picture. And what does that tell the child? my mommy really looked at my picture. That's really what it says to a three-year-old. And and many times children will come to you and put something under your nose and say, look, mommy, look, daddy. And what is it? It looks just like a, it doesn't look like much to the adult's eyes, but you can always make a comment about it. <laughs> There's always something specific. And I really loved what you said about thinking about the effort involved too. So let's say, talk about painting the child does in this example. 
there's always some color in the painting. There's always something in the painting. So you can talk about those specifics of the content, but there, there's also those specifics of what the child had to do in order to create the painting. And there's always something to be said, oh, you're using a brush for the first time, or you didn't drop the brush this time. You've had such trouble holding the brush. Now you held it real nicely. Something. There's always something that you can observe about not just what they've painted, but how they did it. You are so right. And every time you say something, Arthur, it it brings back a memory of mine. (laughs) I remember in one of these workshops, a teacher was sort of challenging me and she said, all right. So the other day I had a three-year-old who just took their brush and used black and painted every single inch of the easel paper. Now, what was I supposed to say about that? What do you think I said to her? (laughs) Can I put you on the spot? Well, I would think uh, if I'm paying attention to what you're helping us learn here, that you'd say something about how marvelous the color black is. I would. And I would also say, you must have had a lot of patience to fill in every white space on that paper. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I said. And they and the teachers laughed just like you. I was glad that teacher asked that question because I think it got the message across. There really is almost nothing out there that you couldn't make some sort of comment that would make the child realize this person really has an understanding of what I just did and what I went through. And what you highlight so well there, and I I learned a lot in that example. It's funny how some of the deepest insights come with just a bit of a twist. Like your story you just said, you know, how hard they worked to cover up every last spot of white. Because that really, really highlights the idea that effective praise is about focusing on the child's effort rather than the outcome. So it's, it's what they did to get the outcome that you're praising. Exactly. And, you know, we're talking about preschoolers, but this kind of praise is effective for your entire lifetime. So let's let's just fast forward a little bit. Now you've got a child, maybe you have a child that's struggling a bit with reading. They're six or seven or eight, and they know they're not, you know, no matter what, what they call those reading groups, the children always figure out if they're not in the top group. And I know that parents say, I'm trying to support my child, and I tell them what a good reader they are. Actually, that can also backfire on a child because they know, especially if they're seven or eight and they see what other children are doing, they're quite aware that they're not, quote unquote, a good reader. So parents are stymied. So how do I give my child the love and support? And I know that he's going to get there eventually, but he's struggling now. How do I tell him that? And that I find is much trickier for parents to to figure out. And I'll say, you could say something like, a child gets through a sentence or like gets through a page in a book that he's been here, he's been struggling with. You could say, you know, that was really hard, but you stuck with it and you got it. And look at now you're telling me about the story. You really did it and give him like a high five without having any of those words that say you're the best or you're going to be the best or, you know, you're better than I was when I was in third grade or, you know, those are not things that usually help a child. In fact, they almost never help a child. What they, what they do is they make a child feel guilty. And many, many children will come up and say, I'm not the best. I'm in the lowest reading group. Why are you telling me I'm the best? And and some children just keep it internally. You're lucky if your child actually says that to you. So I I it's 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 a little tricky. And remember we talked about 
discipline being like learning a foreign language. Mm. I'm going to tell you, this is a little bit like that too, because as parents, we want to protect our child. We want to give them all of the best words in the world. But sometimes we just have to say, wow, that was really tough, but you did it. You stuck with it. You got through that whole chapter of that, the whole page. That's a wonderful way to tie it back to the child. And, you know, at any age, even for ourselves, what makes for a great relationship is that someone is noticing you, where you are, who you are, what you are doing. And your approach really, I think, helps children feel like they're sparkling inside, like someone's paying attention to my crazy little things that I do, and they think there's something special about them. Oh, I I love that. Something special about them and something special about me. Who doesn't want to have somebody pay attention to them? And, and another way I come across this, I remember when our kids were in preschool, it was a wonderful preschool in Boston, and the people who ran it were so sophisticated. I hadn't seen anything like it until I moved to Cleveland and we began working together and I saw how you run your preschools. And that is when your child does a painting or a drawing of some sort, uh, they suggested that we ask the child, ask our child, tell me, tell me what you made or tell me what this picture is about. And in the case of reading for older children, you can say, what was it like for you to try to do that bit of reading? So Again, it's it's right in that theme that we're talking about this whole way through, which is how to keep the focus on the child, make it about the child, and really a reflection of the work they're doing. Again, what we're really trying to praise in anybody we care about at any age is the work they're doing at their next level, their effort to reach the next level. It doesn't matter what level they're at at all. It's the effort that counts. And so if you say to someone who's painting, can you tell me a bit about what you painted now, in whatever way you want to talk about that, or if someone's reading, you want to tell me what it was like to read that? That gets right into the heart of their effort. Nothing truer could be said. I mean, everything <laughs> you're saying is exactly, uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that we're having this, it's like a lesson today, sort of a back and forth lesson. But I love how you said that, because th- it's really all about supporting children and increasing their self-esteem. You know, you don't even have to think of it just as praise when they're showing you a great picture or they've done something. You can use this kind of language just when you're talking to your child in every day. So let's say um, a child takes out all of the crayons in a, in a box. This is where praise and discipline become tied in together. Instead of just saying something like, why did, you know, why did you have to dump out all the crayons? <laughs> you could say, Oh, I see you want to use every single color in that crayon box. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, that may sound silly and I'll say, well, that won't, what, what difference will that make? It does make a difference. I'm going to tell you that that child will go, yeah, well, I really don't want all the colors. <laughs> I'll start to put back in some of them. And I, again, every time I were having these conversations, Arthur, this has been so much fun for me because I'm having um, all these old memories. I remember um, being in a, this was a two and a half year old classroom. This child was only two, a little bit over two. And all of a sudden he took, this was in a preschool room, took off the shelf a bunch of Legos, dumped them on the floor. The teacher walked over and I mean, I this was one of my better teachers, I have to say. I thought she was fantastic. See, I'm giving her praise. Everyone does that, right? I'm giving her superlatives. And instead of saying what I think many teachers would have said is like, okay, you know, Legos aren't for dumping. You know, put them back in the box. What she, she, she came to this two-year-old and said, hmm, I see all these Legos on the floor. Do you have a plan for them? 
Mm, I swear that. Think about I that. I swear that's what she said. And this two-year-old looked up and said, "Yeah, I do." And then just put, and then without her saying, put them back in the box. He put every single one back and just took out two or three. And that is an actual true story. If t- if parents and teachers can remember that instead of immediately jumping, like, why did you dump the crayons or pick up those crayons or everything's over the floor, if they can think that there was a reason for their child doing that, they had a plan. They wanted to use all the colors. You know, they uh, whatever it is. They can they if they just take a minute and pause before they jump into the into what they're going to say to their child. They're going to see that what I'm talking about now is sort of like straddles discipline and praise, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's going to come up in a lot of places because what are kids really good at? They're they're good at getting things wrong. Uh, just oh, just as right. we're good at getting things wrong, we try something new. But I mean, part of the heart and soul of being a child is everything's new. You know. What's the first thing you do when you learn to walk? You fall down. And that's true for every skill. Essentially, nobody who can do everything right the first time. So we've got this situation where people are trying and failing. And the Lego story really illustrated that beautifully, Susan, because you got a situation where they maybe they weren't thinking about what they were going to do. But the way that teacher responded to them so beautifully, asking them, uh, yeah, I wonder what sort of plan you had in mind. That is a wonderful way to plant the idea of purposefulness in what could be otherwise sort of a chaotic moment that under other circumstances, most circumstances would invite a shaming event. Like, what have you done now? Um, so uh, so that's a nice way to combine, you know, when, when kids try a new thing and they get it wrong, it invites a sort of discipline that we really want to avoid, which is punishing. But we can use this concept of praise, getting inside what they're trying to do as really part and parcel for the entire project of discipline, which is, as you put so well, is, is all about teaching, not punishing. I, I like the w- way that you use the word shaming because I don't think that we sometimes we think about how a child feels when you say, you know, um, look at those crayons on the floor, put them back in the box. It doesn't sound horrible. But if you're three or four, you might feel like, I did it wrong. I think it's something for us all to remember. And I always am glad when you bring this up, Arthur, that children, what do they do well? They get things wrong because almost everything they see every day is something novel, something new that they have to figure out how to do it the right way. And, you know, we we haven't really talked about this much, but what you said really reminds me of a a major theme of life in America, actually, which is that uh, we frown upon failure. What's the worst grade you could possibly get in school? It's an F. It's a horrible thing to get an F. And I, I don't know anyone who's gotten an F who feels good about it. But if you talk to any of the great thinkers across history, you'll find out that, uh, they feel very good about their failures. They would go so far as to say, None of their great successes would have happened without a failure. The other thought that brings to mind is the is the great game of baseball, where you know the greatest hitters of all time failed over half the time to get a hit when they came to the plate. So that's part of life, and yet our culture frowns on failure. I think it's why it speaks to why there's such an urge on the part of parents, all of us really, to say you are the best. Because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to protect them from this awful sense of failure. But what our whole conversation is is raising is this sense, which I really appreciate you raising, Susan, which is that there's some value in failing. 
and I hesitate to use the word failing because it's it such a bad How about feeling. a struggle or there's, there's value in struggling and having a challenge yes. or a frustration because we grow from that. Yes. So, so, uh, you know, I, I, the word failure is burdened with so many negative feelings, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm using it just so we get over it. So we can say, okay, it's fine if they make a mistake. In fact, it's not just fine. It's necessary. I, I recently learned that toddlers take about 10,000 steps an hour when they're up walking around. They're walking constantly and furiously. And they fall some gadzooks numbers of times a day on average. <laughs> and, and, and the point is each step, they're learning how to do it better. And that's why people eventually learn to walk well. It's not just instinct. So struggling, getting it wrong is an incredibly valuable part of the process, which is why this approach to praising is is really founded on the idea that we want to take a look at the struggle, not skip the struggle. I think it really calls for almost a, for a paradigm shift in the parents' thinking mm-hmm. to, to think about almost celebrating the struggle mm-hmm. and saying to that child, boy, that was really hard, <laughs> but look at it, you did it. I mean, what a feeling that is. And mm-hmm. and, I, and clearly it's a much better feeling. All of us have had that. When something that we've struggled with, we haven't been able to accomplish and we did it, that's a much better feeling than something that came very, very easily. And there's going to be times when, you know, someone tries something that doesn't work and we can say, what a great effort. Yeah. We can try another one. I know that wasn't easy. How does it feel giving it a try, even though it didn't come out right? Amazing. That is exactly what we're hoping that parents will take away from this podcast. You know, when we're talking about kids and that sense of shame, you know, whenever you try something, you're putting yourself out there and there's always the risk that someone's going to say, what the heck was that? You know, or put you down in some way. So there's a risk. There's a risk in trying something. And I think a lot of what we're talking about also promotes initiative. So let's spend a moment thinking about initiative. That comes very naturally to kids. They take initiative all the time. You know, one-year-olds are babbling and trying out this sound and trying out this imitation of that sound. So that comes very naturally. But in some ways, over time, certainly by the time you get through kindergarten, initiative is frowned upon. And what we're and what we're asking yeah. people to do is just what they're told, and we I think we sort of prepare our kids for that world by avoiding that excitement about what they're trying to do, and the, the word that keeps coming to mind is initiative. So a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about effective praise is valuing the fact they just went out there and gave it a good gung ho try. I love that. And this whole concept of initiative is big enough that I'm sure our listeners will be pleased, Susan, that we've decided to devote a whole podcast to this question of struggling with initiative, feeling good about it, feeling bad about it, how we help our kids feel really excited about taking the initiative. And how we as parents can step back and even though it's painful for us, allow our child to stumble and fall and get up and then succeed. Absolutely. Well, we're really excited about everyone joining us in that journey. So thank you again, Susan. Always a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Bye-bye, Arthur. Bye-bye. And bye, listeners. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.